Well, buenos dias familia, otra vez. Good morning, good morning. Uh, man, today is the end, the end of our stand series together. And I think it's been a really good series for us as we've been talking about suffering and how to suffer as a Christian and what does that look like, how do you suffer without sinning. And so this is the last sermon of the stand series. And I just want to remind you that next Sunday we're starting a new series that's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, starting next Sunday, we're going to talk about these really hot topics and try to answer some really hard questions together. And so I haven't talked to our social media team about this yet, but I'm just going to tell you right now on stage that I think, hopefully, maybe, we'll be putting some stuff on social media about what kind of questions we're going to be talking about, what kind of hot topics we're going to be talking about, just so you guys are prepared. And maybe, and hopefully, maybe you can share it with some friends, share it with some people so they can go, huh, there's a church talking about that. I'm really interested about that. And so hopefully we can do that. And that's also a shameless plug on my end to say, if you haven't followed us on social media yet, you totally should. It's super funny. I get on the roof and I almost fall off. So you can go look at that later. Uh, so you should definitely go do that. Um, but we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 together as we end. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 8. So go ahead and find that with me. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. <clears throat> and as we get there, I'm going to give you just a couple definitions here. Because as you look at this, we're going to see these words like enemy and, and maybe like devil and Satan and all that kind of stuff. And so I just want to define this word devil for us. Because this word devil, when you look at the Greek, it really just means like slanderer or accuser. This person who uses their words to lie and to deceive. This, this person who's an accuser, a slanderer. I mean, I want you to think of maybe Job. How, how um, Satan really was accusing Job of saying, hey, Job's only following you because, you know, X, Y, and Z. Job's only following you because you've given him everything. So they have this accuser. And the same word for the devil can also be seen as this word as enemy. Those are interchangeable, this enemy, this adversary, the Satan, this adversary, the enemy. And so when we look at this word together, we look at this passage together, I just want you to keep that in mind because that's really important for us because what Peter is really doing here is he's kind of giving like a warning. He's like, hey, we've talked about all this stuff. Now I'm like, hey, I'm going to caution you. I'm going to warn you because there's someone out there who's really trying to attack you. And so this is really fitting as we end kind of this whole series on standing even when we're suffering. And so starting in verse 8, I want you to turn with me right there. Starting verse 8, it says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Then verse 10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. As we read this, um, there's like this one summary statement that I think just kind of comes to mind. Some people could call it a target statement or something we're going to focus on. So here's kind of the focus of this morning, is that God prepares us for spiritual battles. God prepares us for spiritual battles. That's just kind of the focus this morning. 
And the reason I say that is because we are always in a spiritual battle. We are always in a spiritual fight. And sometimes the way God prepares us for those spiritual battles is by putting us in the battle. Sometimes the way he prepares us for that is by putting us in the fight. There's nothing better than practice as you're doing it. And so I'm going to keep going back to that statement of saying that God prepares us for spiritual battles time and time again throughout the whole message. And so as we look at these verses, though, I, I kind of divided it in two ways. And the first way I divided it <coughs> was verses 8 and 9. So verses 8 and 9, here's the first point that we see, is that God fights for you. God fights for you. As I think back in my life, I mean, I just continually learn. Like, I'm learning all the time. And as I live my life through this, like, biblical worldview or this biblical lens, man, I just keep on noticing that all the tension that I feel, all the disunity that I see, all the bad things that happen to me, all the disagreements maybe that happen to me, really derive from this, like, spiritual battle, this spiritual fight that I'm in. There are all these instances that we could consider spiritual warfare that's caused by my sin or someone else's sin or the enemy or the enemy's crew of evil spirits. Like I just continually just look and say, you know, I really don't think my battle is with people. I think my battle is with the evil spirits and the enemy. And then I think back at Ephesians 6 and I'm telling you right now, Ephesians 6 is so clear. And Ephesians 6 is so true when it says that really our battle is not with human beings. It's not flesh and blood. It's the evil spirits of the world, the evil dominions of the world. And the reality is you, you can't really fight a spiritual fight like a physical fight. Because I know that there are some of us in this room who like when a physical fight arrives, you're like, all right, I'm throwing the first punch. Like I'm throwing the first move. Because in a physical fight, you want the upper hand. You're like, man, I'm making the first move. But in a spiritual fight, you need to have God make the first move. In a spiritual fight, we take the first step back. We say, okay, God, you go. You, you make the first move because you need to go fight for me. God, you need to come in and fight for us because this spiritual battle is way too big for me. This spiritual battle is something that I can't do on my own. And so as we think about this spiritual battle, as we think about resisting the enemy, resisting temptation, resisting sin, then we have to discipline ourselves and saying, okay, I need to hold on to God's word, hold on to God's truth, stand firm in Christ and say, God, you make the first move. God, I want to stand firm in my faith, stand firm in the faith, which is the gospel. And so as we look at verse, verse 8, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Really what Peter is trying to say here is like, be watchful and be attentive. Again, we're in this battle, we're in this fight, okay. Someone's not going to look at you and say, hey, be watchful and be attentive when you go on vacation. Like when you go on vacation, they're just saying, no, relax and stop paying attention. Like don't think of anything. And so Peter's not talking to people who are on vacation. Peter is talking to people who are in this spiritual fight, this spiritual battle, this spiritual war. And he's saying, be watchful, be attentive. And then I'm reminded of verse 7 where it says, cast all your anxiety and all your worry to the Lord because he cares for you. Well, you see, maybe Peter said that in verse 7 because he's saying, hey, cast all that to the Lord. So that doesn't distract you, so that doesn't worry you, so that doesn't weigh you down. So you can be watchful, so you can be attentive, so you can be aware, so you can be not distracted. Man, because we're in a spiritual fight. And here's what's interesting to me. The opposite of watchful, the opposite of sober-minded, the opposite of attentiveness, the, the opposite of being sober-minded and the opposite of being alert is, is like being asleep, being careless being distracted, those are the things that are opposite of that. 
And you know, before I've said that we as human beings really like to be distracted by creation rather than directed by the creator. But I think in this context, you can say something along the lines of like, God wants us to be awake and the enemy wants us to be asleep. God wants us to be spiritually awake and attentive and the enemy wants us to just fall asleep and be spiritually lazy and maybe even rock to sleep. And sometimes when I look at believers, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if the enemy is just rocking you to sleep right now. I wonder if the enemy is going, hey, shh, shh, shh. And we're just quiet and we love it. We're like, oh. This is nice. And I just wonder, I just wonder if there are believers who are not alert, who are not attentive, who are not sober-minded. And you see, we can't be careless in our faith. We, we can't be distracted in our faith because there's an enemy out there. There's an enemy out there who literally has no regard for human life. Like zero regard for human life. Not just in the basketball sense, but in the sense of like, I don't care because I want you to go to hell with me. That's the kind of enemy who is after us. And it's, and it's our enemy. You see, our, our, our spiritual fight is not just with sin itself, but it's against this enemy who's, who's after us, and it's a Christian's enemy. So, like, look at verse 8 again. It says, your enemy, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter is looking at Christians and saying, this enemy is yours. It's not someone else's, it's not the non-Christians, it's not whatever, it is yours. Like you Christian, you believer, you follower of Jesus have an enemy that's specifically trying to go against those who are born again believers who are children of God. And so Peter's looking and saying, you have an enemy and this, and this enemy is it's called this like prince of the world and he roams around freely from place to place. And, and God allows him to do that. And, and, and really this enemy has to have God's permission to do what he does. And this enemy wants to attack believers and consistently attack them because this enemy is just consistently and constantly rebelling against God. Every act that he does is against God and he wants to drag people down with him. And so we must be alert, we must be sober-minded, we must be watchful. Because this enemy is like a lion. It's like a lion. And this enemy also just wants to feast. And this enemy is invisible, but it's a real enemy. And so we need God to fight for us because the invisible God who's still so real is the king of kings, the king of glory, the king of grace. And he's the only one that can truly defeat the enemy and his crew. Because the enemy and his crew, as we see, man, they're seeking to destroy they're seeking to distract. They're seeking to feed you lies to believe in. Seeking to make you not care. Seeking to make you go to sleep. And so it's just really interesting to me what the enemy does and how God is so intentional in describing the enemy. Like, have you ever thought about this? Like, why does God describe the enemy as a lion and not a butterfly? Like, why does he describe it as a lion and not a snail? Why is it a lion and not something else? Like, imagine this. Like, Pam Hedrick over here just a minute ago was showing me pictures of how her and her grandkids went to the zoo. All right? So imagine if you went to the zoo and you just hear over the intercom, like, Psh, um, hello, everybody. Uh, we're sorry for the inconvenience, uh, but the lion has escaped. We have no idea where it's at. Thank you. 
by the way, this line is invisible, and so be more careful, please. Be extra cautious. This line is invisible. And you're just like, uh, okay, what do I do with that information? You know what I mean? Like, that's a bad day. That's a bad day for you. It's a bad day for me. It's a bad day for the kids. It's a bad day just in general, okay? That's a bad day. And so God is really intentional saying, this is a lion. And I was like, God, why did you communicate to us that it's a lion? I just don't understand. So I went on, like, National Geographic, and I went on YouTube, and I found a video. So I want to show you this video. And as you're looking at this video and watching this video, I want you to think of how and why God would describe the enemy as a lion roaring and looking for someone to devour. So hopefully this works. See what happens. Buffalo wound more lions than any other prey species. So hunting this beast requires a game plan. The pride will follow an age-old strategy. Lions attack with the precision of a pro football team, with each lion playing the same position time and time again in hunts. The lions on the sides will advance up the flanks. One or two lions will run interference while the lions in the center will go for the takedown. Today's attack begins with the flanks trying to maneuver close. They will try to separate a lone buffalo from its herd. There is no margin for error. of the pride keeps the loner busy working together to tire him out before he knows it he is surrounded the center moves in for the kill but bringing him down requires the extra 100 pound bulk of one of the big males Sorry for the abrupt stop, but right after this, there's a really graphic video of them, like, devouring thing. And I was like, yeah, it probably shouldn't be shown at church. Uh, so I just, like, stopped it before that happened. And I just I saved you the trouble and the nightmares that I have now. Um, but as you were watching, did you pay attention to what lions do? So I, I did a little bit more research, and as you saw there, lions are patient. Like, lions will stalk their prey for, like, 30 minutes to an hour and just, like, you know, and just watch. And just watch and say, okay, who's the weak one? Okay, what's their weak spot? And they watch and they watch and they watch. Something else maybe you saw is that lions isolate their prey. They either wait until the prey, like, isolates itself or they try to do something to make the prey isolate to where it's all by itself. It's weak, 
It's all by itself. It has no help. And so they either chase after them or they wait for that to happen. Then the next thing that happens is that really lions, as they wait 30 minutes to an hour and as they try to isolate their prey, what they do is they try to look at, hmm, which is the weakest one? Sure, maybe that one has, um, maybe that one's bigger, but like which one is the weakest one? And so they're scanning and they, they try to find the weaker one. And then in the video, you saw that lions are really strategic. They're like a very coordinated football team. You see, lions are actually not very creative. They've been hunting the same way since they were created. But lions are very strategic and very consistent. Very strategic and very consistent. So they're not creative. Like lions are never going to be out there and be like, you know what? I'm going to use my bow and arrow this time. Or I'm going to use a gun because, man, I'm really tired of chasing these things around. Bam. Like they're never going to do that. They're not creative, but they're strategic and they're consistent. And all of these things that I just listed out, all of those things are true for our enemy. They're true for our enemy and his forces. And then here's why. Here's why we see that we need God to fight for us. Man, because that, that enemy, goodness, waits for us to be isolated, which is why we should be careful not to be isolated. We should be with the body of believers. This is why we should continue to grow in our faith because the enemy is continually looking for the weak one. This is why we have to stand firm in Christ and hold on to his truths and his promises daily because the enemy is okay with waiting 30 minutes to an hour, a day, two day, just waiting for us to be weak, waiting for us to veer off, waiting for us to just have a moment of not being alert, of not being aware, of not being sober-minded spiritually in all of these things. And again, the enemy is not creative. The enemy is strategic and the enemy is consistent. And so I need you to just remember that the devil, that the enemy, he's not creative. He attacks you strategically, but with the same thing, with the same thing. Attacks you with the same temptation, attacks you with the same sin. And some of that is from our own sin and the sin in the world, yes. But we do have an enemy out there. An enemy who's trying to actively just attack us. And so I just want to make it personal for us and just ask you a question. Like, what are you doing and what are we doing to actively engage against our enemy? What are we doing to actively maybe even attack the enemy rather than waiting for him to attack us? What are we doing that is, is fighting against the enemy, fighting against sin, fighting against temptation of saying, okay, because I know how the enemy works, here's what I'm going to do. If I'm the prey technically, and he, the enemy is like this roaring lion trying to devour me all the time, what am I doing to be alert, to be aware, to make sure I know what's going on, to where I'm not devoured? And here's the thing, it continues to say in verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So I want you to just keep this in mind. It says resist him, standing firm in the faith. It doesn't say resist him, stand firm in your faith, but it's talking about stand firm in Jesus Christ, stand firm in the gospel, stand firm in the glory of God, which is the faith. This truth that, that Jesus Christ, man, has restored you, that Jesus Christ has made you new, that Jesus Christ has transformed you. 
that he's coming back again. Stand firm in the faith. And the way that we resist the enemy is doing that. It's standing firm in Christ and it's making God our hero, not ourselves the hero. It doesn't say, hey, resist him and just try a little bit harder. No, 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 because you're not the hero. God is. So resist him and stand firm in the faith because this enemy is strong, but man, our God is stronger. I just remember in Luke chapter 10 where, <coughs> excuse me, in Luke chapter 10 where um, the 72 had gone out and they had prayed with people, they had done ministry and, and the disciples come back, they're like, hey, Jesus, like this was so cool. Like, like even, even the, the demons like fleed when we said the name of Jesus. And Jesus is like standing there in Luke 10, 18, and he goes, guys, I saw Jesus fall like lightning. Like, of course, of course. And so when we think about the enemy, it's not like this big, big enemy that can't be defeated, but we serve a God who literally defeats the enemy and has already defeated him. Like we serve a God who literally made a new covenant with us, made a new pact with us to fulfill Genesis 3. Where it was this moment where it's like, man, there's going to be a Messiah who's going to stomp on the head of the serpent. Stomp on the head of the enemy. And that's who Jesus is. That Jesus came to make this pact with us, this, this covenant with us, which is the gospel, which is the faith that we see that it's talking about right here that we need to stand firm on. This gospel where it says, yeah, Jesus came the first time as this lamb who was slain, as a servant. But man, when he comes back again, he's going to be the lion and the king of kings, the lion of Judah who goes, okay, little lion guy. All right, you're done. You are done. You're done devouring. You're done with sin. You're done with all of that. Man, I'm going to cast you. Boom. It's over. And so when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as the lion of Judah. And he's the one who fights for us. And he's the one who we need to fight for us against the enemy. And so we've seen together that God fights for you. And God needs to fight for you. Because you're not the hero of this story. He is. But the next thing I want you to see from verses 10 to 11 is that God fights to restore you. God fights to restore you. And so I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 one more time. It says this. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, God doesn't fight just to fight. God doesn't just fight because he, he loves it. But God fights for you to restore you because he cares for you. Not only does he want you to cast all of your anxieties on him and all of, all, of his, all of your worries onto him. But, man, God wants to restore you. He's the God of all grace. And, and ultimately we have to remember that God has already won. God's already victorious over sin, over sickness, over worry, over anxiety, over the enemy, over everything. And he wants you and I to glorify him. He wants you and I to be part of that victory with him. He wants you and I to celebrate with him and be with him in that glory as his children. And what's interesting to me is that Peter says that God is the God of all grace. Okay, Peter, Peter could have said, hey, God is the God of all wrath. God is the God of all judgment. Uh, God is the God of the law. God is the God of all creation. And though all of those things are true. He said, this is the God of all grace. The God who, man, sent his one and only son to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, and to raise newness of life, this resurrection, to show everyone that he's the God of all grace. 
God of all mercy. The God who looks at you and says, yeah, you've done a lot of things against me, but I still love you. Yeah, you, you've done a lot of things against other people, but I still love you. I, I still love them. This is the God of all grace. And, and this is really an affirmation. Like it's not just something that we're hoping for. But this is just a reality of he's the one who's called us into this eternal glory in Christ. And then it says, after you have suffered a little while. Isn't that interesting? It says, after you have suffered a little while. And what this is talking about is that we're going to suffer a little while here on earth. I mean, really, if you think about it, our time on earth is like really short compared to eternity. And so it says you're going to suffer for a little while, and then, and then Jesus is going to come back. And, man, he's going to restore all things. And though you're restored right now in Jesus, man, he's going to come completely restore all things. And it's just really interesting because in a really personal way, you could read this and say, Misael, why? Like, like, why does God allow suffering? Like, why does God give the enemy permission to do what he does? Like, why? Like, this is ridiculous. Well, if we really dig down deep we really do see that suffering has a purpose to it. Suffering really does have a purpose. And just to give you a little example, if suffering didn't have a purpose, then there's no need, and, and really the cross and really the sufferings of Jesus are pointless. But Jesus suffered for a purpose. He suffered because he knew that's what he had to do to save us, to restore us, to transform us. He had to take that debt that we deserved. He had to take that payment that we deserved. He had to die the death that we deserved. So his suffering was not pointless. His suffering had a purpose. And so even within this warning of Peter, Peter is just saying, guys, like, you're going to suffer, and it's just going to be for a little bit. And it's okay. I mean, you have God with you. And then he says, but he himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever and ever. And that's just amazing to me that we are both promised suffering and then also to be restored and also to be saved and also all of these things. And so as we think about this and as we think of just some more application in our life, you might be asking, okay, Misael, what, what is the application here? Like, I'm, I've heard a lot of things. We've talked about a lot of things. You've shown a little video about a lion. And I was like, that's awesome. Also, don't tell anybody I did that. I screen recorded that on my phone. I'm pretty sure that's kind of copywriting, but don't, don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we don't live stream. Um, <laughs> but here's the application. And again, it's gonna be it's gonna be simple, but man, I, I hope I hope that we can take this and run. So here's the application for us: stand firm in Christ. Stand firm in Christ. Don't stand firm in yourself. Don't stand firm in your knowledge. Don't stand firm in your works. Don't stand firm in how good you think you are. Don't stand firm in how good you think you sing. Don't stand firm in how awesome you think you are at, at all of these memorization or teaching the Bible or, or being able to speak on a stage or being able to love people or serve people. Don't, don't stand firm on that. Those things are given by God. But stand firm in Christ. Like this is the reason why we can sing, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. 
when everything around me is shaken. I mean, those are the reason, those are the words that we can sing because Christ needs to be and has to be our firm foundation. And we have to stand firm in him. And I, what I just love is that that's what he wants us to do. Like, it's not like I'm telling you right now, hey, stand firm in Christ and Christ is gonna reject you. No, 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 stand firm in Christ because he's like wanting you to stand firm in him because everything else, anything else we can put our feet on is weak, it's débil, that's weak in Spanish. It's débil, it's weak. But we have to stand firm in Christ. I mean, verse 11 says, to him be the power forever and ever, amen. You see, standing firm in Christ or being able to stand firm in the faith is not standing firm in your faith or in your belief. It's standing firm in the reality and the truth of who Christ is, the reality and the truth of who God is, the reality and the truth of the gospel. And so we have to stand firm. And someone who stands firm is someone who's steadfast. And what does steadfast mean? We don't use steadfast in our regular vocabulary. Steadfast is someone who's persistent. Steadfast is someone who's dedicated, someone who's loyal, someone who trusts. And so when I say, man, be steadfast and stand firm in Christ, what I'm trying to say is, man, trust God, dedicate yourself to him. Man, be, be someone who says, Lord, I'm gonna commit myself to you and to your word, not, not to man's word, but to your word. Lord, I'm not going to serve because I like this guy. I'm going to serve because I love you. Lord, I'm not, not going to serve and I'm not going to read my Bible to just tell people that I do it. I'm going to do it because I love you. Because the more I know of you, the more I love you. And so, Lord, I need to stand firm in you because if I don't, I'm going to fail. If I don't, I'm going to fall. If I don't, it's going to be a bad day. I'm gonna get a, a, a phone call over the intercom saying, hey, there's a lion out there that's invisible and you can't do anything about it. But see, we know that's truth and that's reality. And that's why I, that's when I pick up my phone, I go, hey God, I need you. Hey God, I need backup. Hey God, I need you right here, right now, help me. And so some questions I have for us just to end and to think about what it looks like to stand firm in Christ. Really, the simplest question we can ask is, today, us, are we standing firm in Christ? Or are we standing firm in our abilities and our knowledge and our whatever? Are we making ourselves the hero or are we making God the hero? Are we standing firm in Christ? Are we standing firm on the God of all grace? Is God the God of all grace in your life? Is God the Lord and Savior of your life? Is God the one who you call up whenever you know there's an invisible lion ready to devour you? Is God your hero? Or are you trying to fight a spiritual battle in a physical way? Like, what are we doing? And then my last question, really just want you to ponder on is like, has God restored you, right? Yes, God fights for you. Man, but God wants to restore you. And so has God restored you? And he wants to. And he wants to really take all that mess and clean you up. And this past summer, I was talking to a friend and we were talking about just the gospel and, and I, you know, just what that looks like. And 
and he was talking to a group of students and I told him, I said, you know what, man, I think one of the things that your students need to be aware of is that it's not about like cleaning yourself up and, and then going to God. It's not about cleaning yourself up and then going to church. It's not about cleaning yourself up and then I can go to the word. I said, dude, it's not about cleaning yourself up and going to God. It's literally about going to God and he's the one that cleans you up. He's the one that restores you. He's the one that transforms you. He's the one that gives you new life, new purpose, new all of that. And so again, the question is, has God restored you? Have you gone to God for him to do that? So I wanna end just by praying for you, by praying for us. So let's go ahead and pray together to the Lord. Lord, being in this series has been so good. Being in this series about how to stand. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would work in us <coughs> and remind us that we are to stand firm in you. Lord, remind us of the enemy that we have. Lord, an enemy that, we, that just doesn't stop. But God, I pray that us remembering that would help us remember the God that we have, the protector that we have, the comforter that we have, the sustainer that we have, the Lion of Judah that we have. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who's not standing firm in you, Lord, I pray that they would do that. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, Again, I pray that they would take that first step in trusting you and saying, God, I need you to be my hero. I need you to be my firm foundation. And God, for the believers in the room who are just struggling right now in one way or another, Lord, I pray that they would take verse 7 into account. That's just to cast all their worry and all their anxiety to God because he cares for you and that they would remember verses eight and nine, that let's cast all that to God so that we can be attentive and aware and ready to fight this spiritual battle. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.